This portion of the Fred and Jeff Show is brought to you by Barker Morrissey Construction and Power Women Investing. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for your further listening pleasure... Direct from the golf course and onto your radio, this is... Hello, everybody. The Fred and Jeff Show. Good morning, everybody. This is the Fred and Jeff Show. This is Fred Ronstadt. I'm here with my little brother, Jeffrey. Hola, Tucson. And we are celebrating the people, the places, the events, history, and the culture that make living in Tucson and Southern Arizona so gosh darn wonderful. Yes, we are, and little Freddy. And we invite people to visit us at fredandjeff.com, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and even subscribe to this tome of wisdom and entertainment on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Now, Jeffrey. Fred. We have a new follower on Twitter. We do. Yeah, and it's all the way from... Well, these guys are snowed in right now, Uh-oh. so they're probably bored and just looking for stuff, but it's called LMFAO New York City. Laugh my ass, or sorry, <laughs> off New York City? Yeah. LF. I think you're referring to a burrow there, aren't you? The animal, the donkey? Yes, yes. Laugh my donkey off. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, they're in New York City, and uh, they're now following the Friend Jeff Show. Ah, sweet. We have- What uh, do you know about that? Hey, did you get over to see uh, the preview of our opening night of- Fences. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! You people out there in the world, you need to see this show. It's we're gonna go see it this week. Yeah, I'm actually, excited. I, I so excited. Charlotte and I uh, got to visit with David and Kim after the you show. You got to go backstage. Yeah, and uh, and the first thing was like, "Where's Jeff?" <laughs> you know, that's that's those are my people. And I said, "Well, he lied to you. He's not coming." No way! I'm coming. I'm going to that show. <laughs> So, this week we'll be there, no, baby. It, it was, you know, it's funny. Uh, we talked about with uh, with David and uh, Kim, the the leads in uh, this Arizona Theater Company. Last production. week, and folks, if you missed the show, check it out on uh, FredJeff.com. Fred right. Yeah, but uh, and you know, Alan was David Dale, David Allen Anderson was talking about how the themes are just universal, mm-hmm. and and Charlotte and I were watching this play unfold. And she has things in her life history, and I have things in my life history, and there was nothing about race or anything else. It was just hitting you square in the frickin' head about life, and it was phenomenal. I would like to think, and maybe, um, you know, those rose-colored glasses are going to come into play here, but I would like to think that we're a little, um, you know, a little little removed from all this race silliness that's going on out there. You know, boycotting the Oscars, complaining about... I mean, what well, is going on? The Oscars because I didn't get anything. I, I don't really even watch the Oscars, but I, my point they, was... They didn't even offer me a gift bag. This, you didn't get any Oscar squa- swag? No, I did not. And you were like infamous for utilizing your media card. Yes, I am. Media credentials. Absolutely. Media credentials, and you didn't get any swag. No, I'm huh. boycotting the Oscars right Interesting. now. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a ton of stuff going on out there. I mean, a ton and let's and I mean, folks, those of you that were out there at the ninth annual Sunrise Trail Run at Old Tucson, welcome back. Hope you made it in one piece. And, and we hope welcome. That you're uh, visiting your psychologist soon. No, visit. Hopefully, they're probably all visiting their physical therapist because that was probably a heck of a treacherous run out there you at know, Old people Tucson. Who, people who get up before the worms do, I, I think they need some psychological help. That's just <laughs> all I'm saying. All I'm saying. You know what else is today, friend? The last day of the 30th annual Bluegrass Festival. Wow. I know. We didn't have the Bluegrass guys on this year. That's a bummer. So I missed makes, those guys. That's out make, at the PNL Fairgrounds. So what, what makes, head out there today, folks. What makes Bluegrass Bluegrass? What makes Bluegrass Bluegrass? That's sort of a trivia question. You remember? I don't remember. What it, it's? What is it? Um, they have to ride a beat-up Ford. Oh, God. All right, folks. There's also 
lots of fun things happening out there. Oh, we'll at the end of the show, we'll say hello to our friends that are meditating at the Tibetan Buddhist Meditation Hour over at the uh, Awam Tibetan Buddhist Institute. So I hope those guys are bettering themselves to make the world a better place. You know, Fred, you have the right to be happy, but you do not have the right to make anyone else unhappy. I wish you would have known that when we were children. Just saying. Also, ladies and gentlemen, the lunch special today at uh, Little Anthony's Diner is a barbecue beef sandwich. How about that? <laughs> and, of course, our first part here, the first part of the Friend Jeff Show, is brought to you by friends at TucsonHappenings.com. Yes. That's where I'm taking most of this kooky stuff from. All the fun things that are going on today. 1230, the Mystery Book Club at Antigone Books down on, I think they're downtown somewhere. not too sure. <laughs> Antigone Books? Yes. They will be on 4th Avenue. Oh, 2 o'clock today and 7 o'clock tonight, Fences by August Wilson at the Temple of Music and Art. Yep. That's super fun. Uh, old Jews Telling Jokes. I wonder if my buddy Tony Zimmons is going to be there. That's at the Live Theater Workshop and all kinds of goofy stuff. Oh, the U of A women's basketball is going to beat up on Arizona State today, or Tempe Normal, as you and I like to call them. Yep. And then finally, oh no, there's tons more stuff. Wait a second. The University of Arizona College of Science is starting their Earth Transformed Lecture Series tomorrow. Did you know about this? That Earth is being transformed? You knew about this because I told you about this. No, I knew about this long before you were even born. Starting tomorrow, folks, all the way to March 7th, Mondays at 7 p.m. at Centennial Hall, the lecture series Earth Transformed. It's going to be super fun. It's starting off tomorrow with uh jolene russell uh and her her uh lecture is going to be about oceans role in climate very fun so i remember here on the on the big show maybe about a year ago the dean of the college of science joaquin ruiz was telling us that there's no there's no debatable fact you can't debate the fact that the earth is warming that's true but what is debatable is how quickly and why So these folks are probably all going to try to help us understand how quickly and why. Is it cows? Is it people? Is it cars? Is it Fred eating too much beans? We don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, check it out because there will be... I'm not giving up beans. You're not? I'm not giving up lard. We're doomed. I'm not giving up anything (laughs) that I grew up with and loved. (laughs) All right. Yay! Did you go to Dillinger's Days yesterday? No, and, uh, I did not, but I, I was on Fourth Avenue yesterday because there was the first of three antique swap meets. Uh, there's one this month. There's one in February. and There's one in March. Oh, I thought that was today. No, it's yesterday. Okay. Uh, so, and I'll, as we get closer next month and, and in March, I'll uh, give more details. But the uh, one of the things coming up is the uh, Tucson Arizona Boys Chorus Classic Concert is coming up, and we'll have. More t- details on that probably in the next couple of weeks. The classic concert? Classics. 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 Okay. They're going to be singing some Brahms, some Beethoven. No, I thought. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that'll be good times. Yeah, I guess they, they don't do the do do do's. <laughs> um, all sorts of stuff going on. Lots well, then what of, do they do? Okay, lo- Locks of Love is coming up on Fourth Avenue. Oh, really? Tell yeah. us about that, friend. So uh, this is a tradition that started in Europe, primarily in Paris, where lovers would lock a padlock onto one of the bridges and then toss the keys into the river. Oh. Signifying their unending forever love. It's been locked on 
to the bridge. So we started doing that a couple of years on Fourth a- goes on Fourth Avenue. What river were you throwing the keys into? Oh, uh, the Seine, I believe. The Seine. Oh, in Tucson. In Tucson. Yes. So right. we have these. We create these sculptures of hearts. Yes. And there's five of those on the avenue right now. Yeah. And they're pretty full. Yes. But you lock your lock on there. And oh, then, so there's no river. No, there's a kind of a river. There's okay. a slot. It's like a like there's someone a left slot. a hose running. A little, little metal slide, and you slide the keys down there, and it goes to the bottom of the of a concrete base. You can never get out. Called the sewer system? No. Human County sewer it's, system? It's part of the sculpture. Bloop. Now, this year we're going to have three new sculptures because the five that we have now are very full. So we're going to have uh, the Arizona, Arizona, wait, Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation, SAFE, uh, is sponsoring a red ribbon uh, sculpture that you can lock your love on. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like it's it's the, the it's Tucson Thrift Store. Lock your love. Yeah, interesting. Tucson okay. Thrift Store is sponsoring a peace sign for Fourth Peace. Avenue. Peace. Oh, not like the vegetable. All we are saying. Yes. Keep going. Is give peace a chance. Oh, peas. I see. Mom used to sing that to us when we were a kid. We were kids to try to get us to eat our peas. No, that was fight for world peas. All we are saying is give peas a chance. That's right. So, and then uh, the final new sculpture is being sponsored by Fourth Avenue. It's a sugar skull. Since uh, the All Souls procession uh, starts right off Fourth Avenue. So, uh, that's coming up on, actually, uh, Valentine's Day is the 14th, but that's a Sunday. So, we want people to get out and have a good time on Saturday night. So, it's going to be the 13th of February. And then we have the ever-popular Spring Street Fair, April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Dude, at some point, 4th Avenue is going to have to become a sponsor of this show, or I'm going to get our producers to start bleeping this stuff out. Come on, man. What? Step up with 4th Avenue. A couple of bucks for, Here, the, here's the, for the Fred and Jeff show. Here's the, here's the trade Sheesh. sponsorship. Here's the trade sponsorship for 4th Avenue is my presence here. <laughs> they pay for that. Yeah, okay. So, uh, And then the last thing I got is uh, the Culture Pass. Tucson Public Tucson Pima County Library, the Pima County Library system has a culture pass, so you can go and check out tickets to culture venues across the community. And actually, I think there's a couple of venues up in Phoenix, but we don't. I actually, when I walk in the library, I take those and throw them away. Mm. But the other uh, Tucson Museum of Art, uh, the University of Arizona Museum of Art, they have uh, passes to Tucson Botanical Gardens. There are shows. Uh, UA Presents, Arizona Theater Company, Arizona Opera, all sorts of stuff. So go to your libraries and you can check out some culture. Very cool, Fred. Very cool. And lastly, folks, don't forget tonight is the last night of the Pima County, the Tucson Jazz Festival. Kermit Ruffin and his ruffians are going to be down at uh, the Rialto playing. And it it is going to be, they're awesome. It's not really the ruffians. I can't remember the name of the of the rest of the dudes in the band. But Kermit Ruffin is fantastic. That's actually a good name. You should sell it to him. So Kermit Ruffin and the Ruffians? Yeah, right. So you can go ahead and start playing it because we're going to take a break right now. And uh, and we will be back, ladies and gentlemen, with more here on The Fred and Jeff Show. This bit of The Fred and Jeff Show is brought to you by Unicom Graphics, Steel Door, and Sleeping Frog Farms. Now, time for more of the Fred and Jeff Show. This is Fred and Jeff Show. This is Fred Ronstadt. I'm here with my little brother, Jeffrey. Hola, Shukshon. And we are celebrating the people, the places, the events, history, and the culture that make living in Tucson and Southern Arizona so gosh darn. That is right. Wunderbar. Fred. 
That's a little bit of uh, Rodstad history. A little German. And? Right. And what about the Rodstad history? A little German. Uh, their great-great-grandfather took the boat over from uh, the motherland, Hanover, Germany. Ended up in uh, Sonora, Mexico. Uh-huh. That is incorrect. He didn't take the boat over from Germany to Sonora. There were, no, well, he, he ended up in Sonora. Right. I was going to say, he did take the boat because they didn't have planes back in the 18, 1800s. And he couldn't take a train. Well, I guess he could have. Oh, really? It been really wet. Yes. But he could have taken a train. Not good, Fred. Not Floats good. across the uh, Atlantic. Yes. They haven't come up with that yet, you know. Train floats? Yes. That'd be cool. Would it be good? We should do that. You should think of how to do that. Yeah. Maybe get your buddies down on 4th Avenue to put that together for you. I will do that. We have some welders. Yes, you do. (laughs) All right, dude. This is your your gig Well, go ahead. Start. Introduce our guest there, Chiefy. You had him write their stuff down? Yeah, that's... I I can't read. I just copied Mm, the letters. Here we go. All right, so with us today, um, let's see. uh, Let's see. You guys are from the College of Behavioral Sciences, right? Broadly? Yes. Okay, so we have Leslie Langbert. See, I do all my work before the show starts. Fred does it during the show. No, see, right now, during the show, I play, I'm play. i playing Simpsons Tapped Out. That's what I do during the show. Uh, hear that, Colonel Mark? Fred is playing Simpsons Tapped Out. <laughs> so, Still. Leslie Langbert, who's the executive director of the Center for Compassion Studies. And we also have Michael Gill, who is the uh, professor, chairperson for the Department of Philosophy. I did really poorly in philosophy. In my college days, actually, a professor I had told me after the first test said, "Son, this is not for you. You should think about withdrawing and find something else to do with your life." Did you stick it out for the whole semester? Oh yeah, I did. I got to see. Did you learn anything? I did. I learned how much I hated that guy. <laughs> Cue the crickets. <laughs> no, actually, it's, Cue it's, the crickets. It's funny. Uh, I I actually did take some more philosophy classes and did really really well, uh, including a philosophy of religion class, which Glad I got an A in. It's pretty cool. What's happening here, Fred? What, what are you doing? I've just shanghaied the show. Is, is what's happening? <laughs> it's just people are turning off in droves. So, Leslie, how are you today? I'm great, Jeff. Good. <laughs> Center for Compassion Studies. What is that? I'm trying to be compassionate with Fred today because he's I don't know what he's doing over there. So, how? Tell us well, about you know, this. We we had we had the Mardi Gras party last night. I know. So we, we're drinking hurricanes and smoking cigars. Yeah, and I know. We missed it. Red beans and rice. And Mia's, Mia won her last volleyball game last night, which is very nice. Club Cactus Silver. Go, go, go. Okay, were there hurricanes and red beans and rice there? No, but there were plenty Oh, 13-year-old and 12-year-old girls a-jumping. Okay, well, I would prefer to hurricanes and red That's beans and rice. That's because you have all boys. That's right. You didn't have a daughter. Right. If you had a daughter, you would understand what I'm talking about. So, Leslie, <laughs> tell us about this Center for Compassion Studies. All right. So, but before you do that, yes. where are you from? I'm from Florida. Florida. We're in Florida. Florida. Yeah. So I grew up in Jacksonville and then- uh, Are you a uh, Gator? No. You didn't go to Florida State? Florida State's the Seminoles. <laughs> yeah, My wife's that. a Seminole. Yes. So, but are you a Gator? No. Are you a Seminole? Yes. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. No, Ohio, no uh, University of Miami for you? No, 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 not at all. And actually my family is like a house divided because my sister- is a gator she's a uf alumna so all right so your sister's a gator yeah you're a Seminole. yeah my wife's a Seminole, and her sister's a gator oh wow wow world's colliding yes i feel like george costanza so <laughs> you came to tucson 
and you are teaching. What did you? What brought you to Tucson? Well, well, that's a whole story in and of itself. But um, I I came to Tucson because I had always wanted to live in the Southwest, and an opportunity kind of opened in my life. So um, I landed here and landed at the University of Arizona, and I do teach. I do a lot of um, a lot of teaching in different contexts through the Center for Compassion Studies and love it. Tell us about that. Center for Compassion Studies. Yeah, so um, super exciting. I think I feel so grateful to be in this role. Um, It's part of the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. It was established a little over a year ago to really kind of focus on um, three major things. One is to continue our research investigations into the impact of the intentional cultivation of compassion beyond those that we naturally feel compassion for. Um, That is very difficult, a very difficult thing to do, right? It is. It is. Intentional cultivation of compassion for folks that we don't like. Exactly. That's a tough thing to do. And folks that we maybe don't know or don't know well that we might kind of feel a sense of indifference toward when we see them suffer. Um, And a big part of being able to cultivate compassion more broadly really involves training the mind to be able to to do that. So one of the really amazing uh, things that I have the honor of doing is um, sharing a compassion meditation protocol called cognitively based compassion training that Jeff, you're familiar with. I am. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I took the classes. I got to meet all kinds of great people like Dr. Charles Raison, who yes. is not at the U of A anymore, is Chuck still kind of there part time? He is um, in a consultant capacity with us still. I'm very, very glad to say. But um, yes, he's now at the University of Wisconsin Madison. But he was. They lured him away. They did. Just like our brother in law. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So soon it's going to be Tempe Normal, and we're going to find some nasty term for uh, the University of Wisconsin Madison. We'll work on that. Yes, we're going to work on that. So so he helped set it up here at the U of A. He did. He did. He uh, had worked um, for several years with colleagues at Emory University before right. he came to the U of A um, researching cognitively-based compassion training and found that this particular form of meditation actually has some really significant impacts on being able to help us return to um lower levels of stress after we're in a stressful situation Um, and also learned that our immune system is actually enhanced yes and so um, really this this began through research on the impact on the individual and through the center for compassion studies we're really looking at an interdisciplinary approach to being able to understand what the impact of cultivating compassion is, not only on our own individual well-being, but what does this mean for society and how we interact with one another? And then even more broadly, what's the impact on the environment? Hmm. The environment. Mm-hmm. So we're, okay, so that's new to me because I love the whole being more compassionate to others and to yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's a critical thing for, and then you guys connected healthy people to that. Mm-hmm. So if you're not healthy, what is it? The cortisol that shoots into your body from stress? Yes. And you're able to manage that 
a lot better by being more compassionate. Mm -hmm. And you guys help folks figure that out. By the way, your program is open to everybody. It is. It's not just students at the U of A. I mean, anybody from any walk of life can come down to the Center for Compassion Studies and hang out. Hang out. (laughs) You know, like, like Meditation Mondays. Yes, yeah, so we offer cognitively based compassion training, eight week courses throughout the year. Uh, we have uh, a class underway right now. We're going into our third week this week. Um, so absolutely, Ooh, this is the tough week. Yes, yeah, self compassion. Yeah, this is when it gets difficult. <laughs> it is. It's it's a catalytical part of the practice, but really a tremendous um, game changer. Yeah. I think, when yeah, yeah. We, when we immerse in that. So we offer that a few times a year. So if folks are interested, please check out our website to learn more. Um, Meditation Mondays is really for our alumni of our CBCT classes, folks that have either uh, done our two-and-a-half-day immersion with Geshe Lobsang Tenzin Negi. He's the developer of this protocol. He's at Emory University, and we're really fortunate that usually about once a year we're able to bring him to Tucson to share teachings and then folks that have and he's taken... he's amazing. He is amazing. He's amazing. And what is he really? He, What's his real day job? He, um, wow. So Geshe Lobsang actually holds about 20 job titles, but he's a former Tibetan Buddhist monk. Oh, who, former? Mm-hmm. He gave up his uh, his beads? <laughs> he did. He gave up the robe because so, he fell in love and got married. Oh, so those guys so, can't get married? No. Oh, wow. Vow of celibacy and all that. So, yeah. yeah and his wife is a... Very, very gracious and lovely woman. Yes, Irene so. is so beautiful and so amazing. Yeah. Yes, and so they they wear many hats. They um, they operate Drapong Losaling Monastery in Atlanta, which is the North American seat of the monastery that the Dalai Lama operates in exile in Dharamsala, India. Hear that, Fred? I know a buddy of the Lamas. <laughs> I've met the Lama. You've met the Lama? Yeah, he gave the me the Lama. He gave me a prayer shawl. <laughs> <laughs> you liar! No, he was in Tucson when I was on the city council. And guess who, who gets who gets to meet the the Dalai Lama? Okay, local dignitaries. Oh Lord, that's awesome. That's yeah, he's terrible. Very cool. And and so he presented me with a prayer shawl, and uh, actually ended up uh, presenting that to one of my staff after I left office. Oh, that was nice. Oh. Yeah, I figured you would have put it on eBay or something. New, 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 new. Okay, so we digress. So and, and the Lama told me. You know, there would be no money for me, but it, on my deathbed, I would achieve total consciousness. Total consciousness. Yeah. Well, let's get that going right now. <laughs> Just uh, kidding. I love you, friend. How, how can you say that you've gone through the compassion training and, and uh, be who you are? Oh, Fred, the <laughs> level of compassion I have for you over the decades of stuff you've done to me i gotta tell you i am the most i am your biggest fan fred uh, biggest fan fred's number one fan right here oh my god this so leslie we're sorry that you're getting in the middle of this brother silliness <laughs> we have one minute before we have to take a break so let me backtrack all the way back to meditation mondays yes tomorrow Anybody can come down, or it's just for the alumni of the classes? Yeah, it's just for folks who have already been through CBCT. Um, It's really designed to offer a deepening of your meditation practice, give you an opportunity to come and meditate with others. Um, It happens every other Monday. The schedule is on our website. And there's tons of research now that that mindfulness meditation 
whether it's CBT, CBCT or another type of mindfulness meditation, is incredibly good for the soul. Yes, good for the brain, good for the body, good for the spirit. Yeah, it's really cool. We actually talked to some uh, uh, folks uh, at the U of A when we were talking to Dr. Razon, and, and he was talk- they were quantifying the benefits. It was awesome. Yeah, we'll get more into that in a second. So, folks, stick around. We got lots more compassion and jocularity here on The Fred and Jeff Show. This portion of The Fred and Jeff Show is brought to you by Barker Morrissey Contracting, Ronstadt Insurance, and Casa de la Luz Hospice. Now, time for more of The Fred and Jeff Show. This is the Fred and Jeff Show. This is Fred Ronstadt. I'm here with my little brother, Jeffrey. Hola, Tucson. And we are celebrating the people, the places, the events, history, and culture that make living in Tucson and Southern Arizona so gosh darn wonderful. That's exactly right, Fred. And we invite people to visit us at fredandjeff.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and even subscribe to this tome of wisdom and entertainment on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Well, it's- you're, you're saying that so nicely now. You just, in the past, you've just kind of blown through it. And that, that was very good mi- enunciation. mindful of my speech. And, and the folks out there feel the compassion coming from the timber of your voice, Fred. Now, here's, here's some additional compassion. It's Girl Scout cookie season. <laughs> oh, no. And, no! And I learned... It's Thin Mint time! I learned that they have a cookie and beer pairing event, actually three throughout the event, and a cookie and wine pairing event sponsored by the two, the the Girl Scouts and Tap and Bottle and some other folks. So Wow. Yeah, so coming up and we'll put links on the Fred and Jeff show or or just go to Girl Scouts uh, SO dot org, I believe is the Did website. someone just like email you that no. or text you that during the break? Well no they didn't, but my my lovely little goddaughter, Molly McKnight Guyman, mm. is a Girl Scout. And that's uh Michelle Guimond's daughter, right? That is Michelle Guimond's daughter. Right. And uh, and she's selling uh, Girl Scout cookies. And I sent a text to Michael saying, what have I done to earn such disrespect? <laughs> and, and he's That's like, pretty what are good. you talking about? He goes, my goddaughter hasn't offered me any cookies yet. Offered you any cookies? <laughs> well, you know. Offered to, buy, to sell you to cookies. Sell cookies. So she called me up. <laughs> I bought some cookies. So, but, uh, yeah, so the Girl Scouts are, are branching out into... Uh, these Alcoholic beer, beverages, beer, I love it. Beer pairings. Hey, cocktails and cookies. Yeah, but it's it's brilliant because there's if you think about say I think like shortbreads would go really good with a mocha java stout from our from Dennis Arnold over at Barrio Brewery, and then you get like a really nice uh, wheat hefeweizen, and maybe that's like the lemon cookies. What is I don't you're not being compassionate to me. You're not you're not being compassionate. Hey, okay, wrap it up, wrap it up. The folks got the idea. All right. So, anyways. Here we go. Good. We're done. And uh, with us today is Leslie Langbert, who's the executive director the Center for Compassion Studies, and Michael Gill, who's the chairperson and professor at the Department of Philosophy, all under the umbrella of the College of Behavioral Sciences. And earlier we were talking with you, Leslie, about what the Center for Compassion is doing. We got an idea of how it started. Geshe Lobsong started with Chuck Raison. Yeah. And then you came, you got affiliated. Yes. And you're doing tons of stuff throughout the community <laughs> to promote the mission of the center. Yes, yes. So in addition to um, more research on the impact of cultivating compassion, we are uh, bringing compassion education out into the community and also doing a number of outreach events, um, one of which is our 
uh, conversations on compassion lecture series that we have happening right now. Um, we kicked it off. Well, not right this week. second. Not right this second. <laughs> just in this in these few weeks. Right. Coming you, up. And you kicked it off last week. We kicked it off last week with Al Kazniak, who talked about the social neuroscience of empathy and compassion. Wow. So this isn't something you can get on Lumosity. No. <laughs> you don't know what Lumosity is? No. What is that? <laughs> it's, it's training your brain. It's brain training. We've taken oh. neurosciences and come up with an idea of how to train your brain, and then they found out it was all baloney. How to monetize kitsch. Yeah, exactly. Totally baloney. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, they had got sued, and the, F- <gasps> the federal government smacked them. And it's, oh, but wow. we still, the games are a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. Get the choo-choo train, the purple choo-choo train and the purple choo-choo house. Okay, we are an evidence-based enterprise. There it is. Yeah. Evidence-based. I like it. I like Good. it. So this lecture you had last week, mm-hmm. what was the title again? The Social Neuroscience of Empathy and Compassion. And so can you give us in a thimble what you learned from that? Oh, wow. Okay, so here's some of the key the key takeaways. Um Empathy is really a precursor to feeling compassion. When we feel empathy for another, we are resonating with the experience of their discomfort um, or their suffering. So I have huge empathy (laughs) for Sharla, my brother's fiance. (laughs) Like that, right? Well, then if you take it to (laughs) compassion. Yes, not only recognizing that that suffering exists, but really feeling a strong desire to want to alleviate it. Yes. To That's compassion. About it. That's compassion. So, so cool. do you have to have had life experience to have, so if somebody's going through the death, the death of a parent, mm-hmm. would I have to have that experience to have empathy? So do I have to have similar life experience to, to no. understand what that person's going through? That's a great question, and no, no, not at all. Really, um, both empathy and compassion are just biologically-based human traits that we all share. Um, We all have the ability to sort of um, take the perspective of of another, um, to, you know, imagine or sense what someone else might be feeling. Hmm. And So it's voluntary. These, these feelings of compassion that we have usually are restricted to those that we feel are close to us, those that um, So are the dear nameless to us. masses we don't have to worry about. <laughs> it, it becomes a little bit more uh, a little bit more biased and restricted when we start to think about our compassion for others outside of our, our in-group. And this is where training really, comes into play to begin to um, really work with our thoughts, our attitudes, our perceptions, not only toward others, but really starting with looking at ourselves, looking at, you know, how we can begin to recognize the true causes of our own suffering, which um, typically lies in how we react to situations that happen. I thought it was because Adam and Eve ate an apple. Well, that's a different story. Oh, okay. That's a different story. Leslie, you teach CBCT, don't you? I do. You're one of two instructors here in Tucson? There are actually three of us here three now. Three now. All yes. right. Yes. So you've got a great foundation for understanding compassion training. I have been really, really fortunate to have spent a few years studying directly with Geshe Lobsang 
um, to learn and share this protocol in the community. And uh, it's a practice I engage in myself as well. You mentioned earlier uh, in the show that this actually has an effect on the environment. And, and Jeff was going down the track, and I think we got disrupted. But mm-hmm. how, how does compassion training affect the environment? What does that mean? So looking at how, um, how we think about others beyond those that we are immediately close to, part of being able to shift these perceptions and shift these attitudes that we have is to be able to recognize the value in others. Um, not just those that we interact with on a daily basis, but the many, many people whom which we may never meet, whose actions benefit us in some way. So if if I can make that easy for me. Sure. So I, (laughs) so the person that actually wove the material for the shirt that I'm wearing. There you go. That kind of thing. I'll never meet that, you know, nine-year-old kid who's working in a sweatshop in India probably but I have compassion for them and the guy that made my shoe and the gal that made my shirts. These are people that I live the life I can live because of the hard work that they did. And even though they're nameless and faceless, I have compassion for them, even though I don't know them because they made my life better. Yes. Yes. So when we begin to think about how we are benefited in so many ways by so many people that we may never meet, That begins to shift our attitudes as well in terms of how do we treat the space that we all inhabit? How do we begin to expand that beyond just compassion for human beings? How do we begin to extend that to all living beings and this shared space that we all need? We all depend upon one another. We are all inextricably linked. That's awesome. And so... This lecture series that you guys have going on, it started last week. Yes. Now, this week, you've got the gentleman sitting to your left. Why don't you introduce him and kind of give him an idea, give us, give our listeners an idea of, oh, we'll just tell him what, uh, what his topic is, and then we'll talk. Yes, I'm so, so delighted and honored uh, that Michael Gill has graciously agreed to provide our, our next talk on Wednesday evening. Um, as Fred had mentioned, Michael is the director of the Department of Philosophy at the U of A. And for those who may not be aware, our Department of Philosophy is top in the country. Uh, Michael is going to be talking about how altruistic should we be, which I feel is going to be a very thought-provoking um, conversation to really get us to kind of challenge our thinking around what it, what it means to really have virtue in being altruistic. Hi, Michael. Hello. How you doing? I'm well, thanks. Good, good. How long have you been at the U of A? 13 years. Where are you from? Washington, D.C., and currently my family uh, is shoveling out from an awful lot of snow. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, record snows, right? That's right, yeah. Wow, crazy. So the head of the Department of Philosophy. Correct. How does a guy like you, who did you muscle out for that job? Ah, yeah. um, Sometimes we think of being head of the department as something where the volunteer is the person who doesn't move back when everyone is asked who will do it. Oh, I've been I've been in the meetings where you don't show up to that meeting and then someone calls you a day later and says, "Hello, Mr. President." <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, how do you like it? How do you like being at the U of A? How do you like I, the old Pueblo? 
I love being uh, in Tucson, and I love the U of A. Uh, and our Department of Philosophy, as Leslie said, is is a fantastic place to be. And I'm really delighted that we have become involved with the Center for Compassion Studies. A lot of us are interested in ethics and how we ought to live our lives. Um, that's a topic that many of us spend a lot of time thinking and writing and teaching about. And being able to connect with the Center for Compassion Studies and the sort of things that Leslie is doing really fit in with what many of us want to do with philosophy. And it's a way of bringing together some of the more academic encounters with the kind of outreach that Leslie's doing with the community. Cool. So philosophy, tell our listeners your opinion in two sentences if you can. What is philosophy? Well, the word comes from love of wisdom. And when I talk to my undergraduates about this, I always ask them to think about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Um, it's not love of knowledge per se. It's love of wisdom. So philosophy has something to do with what it means to be wise, what it means to be living in the world, as opposed to simply knowing facts, having certain bits of information. Very cool. Very cool. All right, folks, we have to take a quick break, quickity-quick, um, and we're going to devote the rest of the show to Michael, so please come back because we've got lots more good stuff here on The Friend Jeff Show. <laughs> this portion of The Fred and Jeff Show is brought to you by Anthony's Cigar Emporium, Power Women Investing, and Mayfield Florist. Now, time for more of the Fred and Jeff Show. This is Fred and Jeff Show. This is Fred Ronstein. I'm here with my little brother, Jeff. Hola, Tucson. And we're celebrating the people, the places, events, history, and culture that make living in Tucson and Southern Arizona so gosh darn wonderful. That's right, Fred. And you know what, Fred? This is not a... A session with the doctor over here where you're talking about someone that you vitriolically hate and how you were able to work through it. I, I don't do You want to see I, the man professionally? Pay him. No, I, I would have said is I already worked through that. <laughs> Just teasing you. I already worked through that. Now you're going to have to work through it with me. No, that's... I figured, you know, when I die and go to heaven, Jeebus will bonk me on the head and it'll be all cleared up. <laughs> So we are ta- we've been talking to Leslie Langbert, who's the executive director of the Center for Compassion Studies. But now we're talking to the man who's going to be presenting the community with all sorts of interesting philosophical discussion this week. Wednesday night, seven. Michael Gill, who's the chairperson and professor at the Department of Philosophy at the University of Arizona. Right, Michael. Yes. Let's get down to what is your what's your your topic of your your presentation. Well, as you were speaking about earlier uh, in this hour, we naturally feel compassion, empathy for people in our immediate vicinity. But what a lot of ethical thinkers have come to think is that there really shouldn't be any distinction between the welfare of other people from an ethical perspective. So if you really take seriously the idea that everybody's welfare counts equally, it seems as though we have obligations not only to our friends and family and the people around us, but you mentioned the people who made your clothes in India or made your shoes in China or Bangladesh. Why not think that we have obligations to all of those people? 
since all of those people's welfare seems to count equally. Um, that might sound like a fairly reasonable thing to say, but if you take that idea seriously, it seems to lead to the conclusion that you should be spending virtually all of your waking hours trying to benefit people all around the world. And that very quickly becomes an intensely demanding ethical life. And the question is, is that really how we ought to live? Um, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, maybe this question wasn't quite as sharp because you might not have had the ability to help anyone outside of your immediate sphere. There weren't airplanes, there weren't refrigerated trains, there weren't international banks. So you might have been able to think in distant past that your sphere of moral obligation was fairly limited. But given well, now- Let me, let me yeah. interrupt you there because this seems that, you know, sometimes philosophy, the, the, our ability to sit and take time, be quiet, and contemplate these kind of issues seem to be a first world uh, reward. Where in third world countries or 500 years ago when an individual's primary goal was to stay alive for the day, uh, that didn't lead for someone sitting around going, I wonder if I should worry about someone even in, within my own circle. Well, the philosophers who take this most seriously think you're right, it is a luxury that we have, and what we should do with that ability is try to promote the good of people throughout the world. And they argue the conclusion is that we shouldn't spend any of our money on luxuries when in fact other people are dying of easy to treat diseases. So maybe it's very fortunate that we have a chance to think about these things, but what our thinking about these things might lead to is the conclusion that we really ought to give up most of our luxury items to help people who otherwise might die of easy to treat diseases. Ouch. I mean, that's, that's a, there's a reason people don't think about that. And yeah. I'll tell you right now, I mean, so this morning we're at Millie's Pancake House having a $60 breakfast where we could have easily, you know, spent a tenth of that, had just as nice of a breakfast and taken that other $50 and given it to, you know, a food bank or somebody like that. Well, that's exactly the kind of thought that philosophers who are concerned with this idea spend a lot of time mulling over. Um, a famous argument from a philosopher named Peter Singer gives the example of walking by a shallow pond where there's a toddler drowning. If you could save the toddler but ruin your $200 leather shoes, of course you would do it. It would seem to be a morally egregious thing if you Absolutely. walked by because you didn't want to ruin your $200 shoes. But now think you're Because I mean, you could easily take them off. Yeah, but now think <laughs> Just you could spend $200 and send it instead of buying those shoes, or you could send the $50 instead of going and buying pancakes. Is that morally the same thing? If every time you spend money on shoes or pancakes that you don't need, you're not sending it to someone who's starving, are you doing something that's morally equivalent to walking by a child who's drowning in the pond? That's the question that a lot of philosophers who are interested in this issue are asking. So what are the philosophers that are understood? Well, gosh, this is a this is an impossible question for your normal American to answer, because it seems to me that asking that question calls your 
the majority of your decisions that you make on a daily basis into question. Well, that's exactly right. And it's an uncomfortable question. It's an unsettling question. Um, For a long time, uh, many people thought there's an argument that seems to lead to this conclusion that we ought to spend all of our time and money helping those who are suffering. But clearly, that conclusion is so bizarre and counterintuitive and difficult, it can't be right. And so, It used to be seen as a kind of puzzle. Look, here's an argument that leads to this very, very strong conclusion about how you ought to live, but it's clearly wrong, so let's go back and figure out what's wrong with the argument. And some people still think that way. Interesting. But other people are now thinking, actually, maybe the conclusion is right. And there are various movements that have been spurred by these philosophical arguments in the real world that have led people to change their lives. A book came out last year called Strangers Drowning, based on a bunch of New Yorker articles that was all about people who have changed their life because of this. And there's a new movement called effective altruism, which is really sparked by this idea that says you really should be doing everything you can to help as many of the starving millions as you can possibly help. But you're absolutely right when you point out how incredibly radical this is. If you take seriously this idea, it seems like virtually every waking moment, if you're living in a fairly affluent society like we obviously are, you have an obligation to people who are starving to death. And, and, and this is a very difficult conclusion. It's an incredibly difficult conclusion. So this, isn't a very, this is not going to be a comedy that you're going to be uh, talking about. You're not, you're not I'll be trying to get some laughs. And... I, I will try to get some laughs, but you're right. It's a little bit tricky. Thought-provoking, incredibly thought-provoking. Well, it's interesting because there are all sorts of movements. I mean, like the tiny house movement. Yes. Uh, you know, the idea that we consume way too much and can be totally happy and satisfied in a small space and, and minimal possessions. Yeah. Um, and and then, well, look at the, the research that Harvard finally just came out with 30 years later that says what truly makes people happy is meaningful relationships. Right. It's not the $200 shoes or the fancy cars. It's having a lot of people in your network that you depend on and trust and love and have me support and support right and support so i think maybe you could it's easy to make the step between what harvard's come out and said is true and this meaningful altruism yeah the effective altruists have an interesting idea uh they think if you really want to help people you shouldn't join the peace corps necessarily or drop out and volunteer for poor people what you should do is if you're capable of it join a hedge fund Uh, make millions and millions of dollars, but live in a tiny house and send as much money as you possibly can to charities that do good work. So the effective altruists often are encouraging their members to take the kinds of jobs that aren't necessarily associated with charity, but then to live on very little amounts of money. Is that what we're all obligated to do if we can um, that's the kind of question I'm interested in. Are there and, any of those effective altruists out there? Oh, known, yeah. Who, like, who's, give us a couple examples. Well, uh, do, I know Donald Trump's not one, and <laughs> Obama's not one, and well, I mean, most of our political heads of state aren't those people. Well, there are some that you haven't heard of, but Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have given away extraordinary amounts of money. Now, they're also living pretty well. They're not living in tiny houses. Right. Uh, but they have given away tens and tens of billions of dollars um, 
that is quite a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So then, and that and that lends a lot of credibility to the philosophy of going out and running a hedge fund and giving a ton of money to folks that need it. That's what the effective altruists talk about. Um, is it wrong not to do that? Is it wrong to do what you love if what you love is, say, interior design or teaching philosophy when, in fact, you're not going to do merely as much good as if you were to join a hedge fund? Michael, when are you speaking? Uh, Wednesday night at 5.30. At Lon Cantata. At Lon Cantata. And, folks, if you want to hear Michael speak or if you want to get any more information on this series, Leslie, where should they go? They need to go to compassioncenter.arizona.edu. Michael's right. talk is going to be at the core at Law and Cantata. All right, folks. See you there. This portion of the Fred and Jeff Show is brought to you by Sleeping Frog Farms and Fred's Meditation Salon and Tequila Lounge.